next song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Exciting, almost festive episode today, Dave. Yeah, I would say festive even is the right word. This is certainly uh, a time a time of year where for much of my wrestling fandom, I, I was getting very... Uh, seasonally anticipatory and we are of course talking about the royal rumble which is coming out coming out like it's premiering yeah the this year's edition will be on january 28th uh we are i guess excited about it uh but we are more excited to talk about the big picture ideas as we often do on this show that the royal rumble helps with explaining the larger ideas of wrestling and for me the royal rumble is perfect because Battle Royals, which is what the Royal Rumble is, it's like a modified Battle Royal, are perhaps the most wrestling thing you can possibly ever imagine. Yeah, definitely. Back in the territory days, the Battle Royals were either something that you would do at a particular time in the year, like sometimes it would be around the holidays, either like in Christmas or around the 4th of July. Usually it was for a festive occasion, you would do the Battle Royal. And it was a time when like, maybe your normal card would have sagged, like maybe you couldn't just do the same thing. So what you did is you got out your phone book and you, you know, called all the wrestlers you were friendly with who you wanted to to give a payoff to, including like the the regulars in the territory. Uh, I uh, one of the huge territories for the Battle Royals was actually uh, Shire in San Francisco in the area where I grew up, running the Cow Palace. And one of the main wrestlers during the era where they were doing that was, in fact, Pat Patterson, and he's who ultimately created the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and uh, I'm giving myself credit in case you didn't hear. I just gave myself credit for the invention of the Royal Rumble. <laughs> You're a Bay Area boy. You always will be. I understand. Um, and what I mean by the most professional wrestling thing possible is that idea, that idea of like the carny aspect of like, let's get all the boys back together so we can have a fun match and get a payday for everybody. But it's also the fakest fucking idea you will ever see in a wrestling match like i we have uh, a friend rich K, a friend of the show rich case and uh he has told me on several occasions like you can't have a shoot battle royal like they do it sometimes during like because they he at the wrestling school they'll kind of do it for fun or they'll do it after a show like to you know like they're hanging out after the show and they'll do like a shoot battle royal if a grown adult person does not want you to throw them over something, you are not throwing them over something, especially if they can hold on to like multiple ropes. So like to me, the most wrestling thing you will ever see is somebody getting thrown over the top rope in a battle royal. It is basically impossible to do that in real life. And the only thing that's faker than all that is the mock anticipation of that happening. Like the just where they've got their arms like crossed up and they're just kind of pushing on each other in the corner. Or when you've got the guy's one leg draped over the second rope, but try as you might, you can't lift it up any higher. Like that stuff is the dirt worst. I know the kind of famous line going around care of, I believe it was Luke Gallows is forearm your friend. You know what I mean? That there's, there's just only so much you can do when there's that many bodies in the ring. And I mean, to some degree, the Royal Rumble is an improvement, a vast improvement over the pre-existing model, which is like, just get everybody out there one at a time and fill up the rings, which like if you watch the WCW World War Three show, you know that like that's phony and horrible and time consuming in its in its in its own right. Yeah, and it completely ruins, especially I mean, we'll get into World War Three and all the reasons it didn't work, but like the presentation was not ready for it in a way that like if you watch old Royal Rumbles, 
they're not quite where they need to be presentation wise in terms of like having a scoreboard or not a scoreboard, but like a large display board so that you can say like, this is the 30th entry. This is the countdown though. They only do the countdown for the last 10 seconds. Like there are a lot of visual and audio clues that they accuse that they have developed over time that have like risen with the technology but like like you said battle royals are literally just like everybody in the pool and then we'll see who can throw everybody else out of the pool and the, the other thing that we 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 kind of didn't uh, I'm surprised we didn't mention is that it is what Andre the Giant was best known for like it was Andre the Giant's signature match he could basically throw out 20 people without an issue and it was totally believable oh yeah d- definitely and it was something that they would specifically do like to get Andre over like if you had Andre for a week you know in the you, you know, your big show at the end of the week was going to be a battle royal, which he was going to win. Or you were going to do battle royals early on, you know, the first couple of nights just to kind of get him over. And then the big show at the end of the week, he's in like a tag match with your top baby face or whatever. But definitely, I mean, it was it was a big spectacle and, and it 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 was perfect for Andre. One of our kind of themes that we've talked about on the show over and over again is in wrestling, like just about everything really started or everything that's persisted started as being a great idea in a certain context. And the battle Royal was perfect for Andre because it showed that he was, as you say, immovable and even more immovable than the average person would be in like the real Mm -hmm. world of non-wrestling physics. Like he even more so. Right. So I think that it was, it started off as something that was, you know, perfect for, for Andre or like Haystacks Calhoun or Grizzly Smith or the guys who are, or Gorilla Monsoon, the guys who were like the big, huge guys. Um, But I think that as you transitioned from the battle Royal to the Royal Rumble, I think that's another piece that got lost in the shuffle. There are certainly famous big man performances in the Royal Rumble, but like I, Double check my math here, Nick. Has anybody bigger than Hulk Hogan ever actually won the Royal Rumble? Who bigger than Hulk Hogan has won the Royal Rumble? Is he the largest Royal Rumble winner? Yeah, I think I think the Undertaker is the only. I mean, Yokozuna, but he's not big, and the reason he he's like a very special. The only people who can win Royal Rumbles are people who are at the end of the Royal Rumble when they're big guys. You will not see a big guy last the entire way through a Royal Rumble. Not because they couldn't do that in real life, but because the narrative con- constructs, the like narrative um, conceits you have to make, make it so that you really don't want a guy in there for an hour. And also it allows the staggering of people, which is basically the only real difference between a Royal Rumble and a Battle Royal is that you have the entrance staggered and there's 10, there's 30 as opposed to the more traditional 20. But outside of that, that is ba- those are basically the only two major differences. Interval, uh, inter, um, intervals of two, one to two minutes for people coming out. That's it. That's the only difference. But what you see in that is that you have to tell narratives based on time in a way that I feel like you don't have to. And because you don't have to, you don't have to worry about like how much space both narratively and physically someone is taking up because everybody, because there's so much a huge mass of people that yes, Andre is the center of attention and everybody should try to get Andre out, but it's less of like, it's more of like a mass of humanity where like the person like Kane, for instance, in the Royal Rumble is much more of a target 
in both uh, like narrative sense and in just like that, if you didn't have to deal with 19 other guys at the same time and you could only focus through all three guys on Kane, that's what you would do. Yeah, definitely. There, there, there are certain, it, it's almost like a game of, of, I don't know, Magic the Gathering, the Royal Rumble is, where like there's, there's a certain order in which things have to be resolved. And when certain cards are in play, certain other actions can't happen. And like when Big Show or when Kane is in the ring, what's going to happen with Big Show or Kane has to be resolved before the next big thing can really like come into into full into the forefront, so to speak, I guess, before you can kind of move on to the next thing. And I think it's really interesting. One of the one of the stories that's like uh, emerged over the last couple of years, uh, specifically with like wrestling people doing podcasts uh is like bruce pritchard tells the story of like one of the people who had a lot of influence when they were doing the early the, the kind of first rumble was dick eversall of nbc because it was during the saturday night's main event era and it's interesting to me that eversall who was the nbc sports guy or the nbc guys he is the person who told them that they should fudge the times that they originally were going to do like a straight two minutes or straight 90 seconds whatever they said it was like they were just going to do it. And that's almost, that's almost sportsy, <laughs> but it's interesting to me that the guy who's, you know, the kind of like the, the visionary who, who commodified the Olympics, basically how he was the one who told them, you know, I think it's a more entertaining setup if you just fudge the times and like, you know, when it's right, when it's time for the next spot to send them. <laughs> yeah. It becomes less of a like constraint than a narrative convenience almost like oh well we just can we because a it's not like they release the order beforehand they may release a lot of the participants but they don't release the order beforehand so you don't know who's coming and you don't you're not really going to be concerned they have the advantage of being able to contrive whatever reason to have anybody come out at any time and they have also with that any time they mean that both in the sense of like any number they can come out and they can also come out at any interview interval past a minute, basically like you would be hard pressed to find like someone coming out like 10 seconds after, unless there was some sort of screwy, like intentional tomfoolery or chicanery. But in terms of non chicanery things, like you just haven't come out a minute, two minutes and 20 seconds instead of a minute and 45 or two minutes. Like you just, wait until the best possible time to send them out which is is a narrative like uh crutch but it also makes sense it makes sense that that's kind of like part of the secret sauce of what makes it work and what allows the narrative elements of the match to be heightened at such a level that it like becomes the thing the royal rumble isn't uh necessarily like a an hour-long match it is now much more like segments of like, this is the blah, blah, blah. This is the CM Punk segment. And then CM Punk segment gets ended by this segment. And then this segment carries on for however long. It's almost like three or four or five or six matches, depending on how fluid everything is. And sometimes you have like multiple matches on going on at the same time, as opposed to one giant blob of a match. And I think that's the other thing in terms of how they present what they're doing is that you don't get one match in the same way that you don't get one guy being the center of attention in a battle royal it's kind of like the inverse like each guy gets to be the andre the giant in any given battle royal 
Yeah, definitely. I think that there's kind of, yeah, I, it, it's a, the Royal Rumble is like one of those big if-then decider mm -hmm. charts. Do you remember when those were popular a couple of years ago? Like, what movie should I watch on Netflix? And the first thing would be like, do you want a comedy or a drama? And then like, you would answer a series of like 20 questions, and then it would actually, by the end of it, be recommending you a specific movie. It's like, the Royal Rumble is very much like that. It's like, choose your own adventure for the bookers. It's like you say, the first fork in the path is like, is this rumble all about one particular superstar and their story? Or is it about the roster? You know what I mean? Cause like there have been times like in the early days, like when we talked about the survivor series and the survivor series episode, I think back in like 88, 89, 90, the Royal rumble was really about the roster until you got to the point where Hogan actually won it. You know what I mean? Like until you got to the point where it actually became a main event thing, truly where Hogan won it, it was just kind of this like, self-contained thing that was really about showing off kind of the victory lap for Vince in the late 80s. Like, look, here's all these guys. Here's this huge roster of the most talented people in the world that I've accumulated. But then when you get to the Attitude Era, right, it's like it's suddenly all about Steve Austin for like three years in a row. And I think now over the last maybe five or ten years, it's been sort of an almost like alternating kind of thing where, you know, it, it's all about Daniel Bryan or it's or there's, you know, or there's times where people have been tricked into thinking ahead of time, like, oh, this one's going to be all about Daniel Bryan. And then he gets eliminated in the middle and people are pissed off when Roman Wayne wins or whatever. You know what I mean? But I feel like it, it kind of went, it started as being about the roster. Then it became about Austin and the kind of top tier stars. And now it's somewhere in the middle where it seems to kind of go back and forth from year to year, depending on the the health and strength of the roster and what they're trying, what how much work they have left to do in terms of filling out the middle of WrestleMania, which is another important role of the rumble that we haven't even really touched on i don't think it builds stars in the way it used to but i feel i still think it's a very effective way to build storylines through the road to wrestlemania like the the diesel kane style of of you're just gonna have somebody eliminated and then they did it with roman reigns but roman reigns was already established outside the context of the royal rumble the royal rumble was more like a no we swear to god he's this dominant and with Diesel in particular, it's like he's oh, I can't believe how dominant he is. It, it's not an it's not a reaffirmation. It is like a, a a debut of his dominance that in like the Survivor Series in general is how they work with Diesel, where it's just like we're just gonna have you do shit nobody's ever done before. We're gonna have you do it in a way that nobody's ever done before. And Kane was just a big fucking monster. Like there's really no other way to describe Kane other than like a home run hitter from the late '90s and early 2000s, where like. They have other skills, but really they're there to just be a big guy that just beats the shit out of people uh, with, like, some gloves. Like, he's talented, but he's not there to do – he wasn't going to be, like, world 10-time world champion. They were just like, this guy is somebody you don't want to fuck with. This was basically, like, the home run derby equivalent of – a performance by Kane and especially in the year he won he had the most eliminations he literally eliminates a bunch of fucking choppers it's not like he's in other words he's not hitting home runs off of like backdoor sliders coming in at 101 miles an hour you know what I'm saying he's hitting BP pitches out of the park but that's what they wanted him to do and that worked to make him look like a like a like a rampaging monster, but it didn't really like work for him in the way that it worked for diesel. And diesel's really the only person who's gotten that. And they also had to do a bunch of other shit with diesel to like strap as many rockets to him as possible. Like to me, 
storylines without non-victory storylines are like actually the best thing that comes out of modern rumbles it is not the actual victor and it is not making somebody because the structure now of wrestling allows it so that you can like blow up a given spot or a given pair of spots or a given sequence of spots in a rumble in a way that you can't really do that with a performer anymore. You can't just be like, this guy's a new star, but you can be like, this is a new hot storyline and people for the most part be like, okay, we'll give it a try. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a place where you can kind of like run something up the flagpole to mm-hmm. and reaction. Like I remember a couple of years ago, uh, uh, well, it's more than a couple now. I'm showing my age, but they they did the tease with Cody and Goldust in the Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. and then, like, there was a lot of speculation, and they wound up not being on the Mania card that year. You know what I mean? Like it was interesting where you could kind of see them piloting something and going like, yeah, yeah, maybe people kind of want that, but having seen ten seconds of it, yeah, no thanks in mm-hmm. terms of in terms of promoting it. Which I mean, I was one of the people who who wanted it to happen at the time, so I'm not like gleefully laughing at them for for not getting their match. But I am saying that I think that the Royal Rumble really can be to use the the old fashioned uh, expression. It definitely can be like nut cutting time. It's like it's like Steve Austin and Bret Hart in '97, right? Where Austin's taking care of everybody one at a time. Not to talk too much about specific matches because we're going to do that in the essential viewing, obviously. But like when Hart's music hits, Austin puts his hand on the top of his head and loses it and like flips out. And I think that it's like if if you and your rival are in the Royal Rumble at the same time and there's not hot interaction between the two of you or the crowd isn't anticipating there being hot interaction between the two of you, you don't have anything going on. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the greatest moments, even more so than the finish of the Royal Rumble, which is usually a big convoluted mess as often as not, right? But it's like that moment where two hot rivals meet each other in the ring. That's that moment where you're either like, these two people are going to be on a, a really important part of the WrestleMania card, or it's like, oh, wow, I kind of expected more from those two guys on this stage. Like, I don't know about them at WrestleMania anymore. Yeah, that is just like a perfect way to encapsulate like what, happens is it's kind of like it's kind of like a band performing on snl for the first time it's like can they perform live okay cool then we can try to do other stuff with them maybe have them back on the show shit like that but we just need to make sure these people can perform live and there's a lot of duds of just like okay i don't care about these two people but there's also shit where like when war and we will not be talking that much about specifics but like uh, on one end of the spectrum you have like when jake the snake runs in during the 92 rumble oh sorry he's Jake's in the ring for the 92 Rebel and Savage's music hits and Savage sprints down to the ring and just goes after Jake because he hates Jake the Snake. Like that is the 92 Rumble we're definitely talking about uh in the next episode is like really great for all of the stuff we're talking about, but for that in particular, like that spot is perfectly done. It is like you understand it is also great though they don't really count it when Savage eliminates himself because he's so incensed at getting after Roberts that they kind of like it makes sense in what he's doing. Like they could have went with that and not have him be in the end game of the match, and it probably would have been fine because that spot's so great. That's to me like the quintessential example of like this is why when you get two people together, th- that's what you want them to have happen. Like Hogan and Warriors, another example at summer at R- Royal Rumble nineteen ninety. 
I think it was, yeah, 1990, where like they eliminate everybody and the crowd gets super hot and you can see the ways in which that will build to WrestleMania six. But like, those are few and far between uh, because a lot of the times, like the fans will tell you what they want. And a lot of the times it's not what you want them to want. And I think that the WWE, like you said, uses this match and spots in this match and that like rivals after each other spot to really gauge reaction for a mid your mid tier or your like Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels style WrestleMania matches where it's just like two good guys you have to get in the card, two talented guys you have to get on the card kind of things. So like I think that they use it as a not like a sounding board but as like a dress rehearsal for the WrestleMania matches. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like I said. I think it's I think it really is an important dipstick both in in terms of matchups and in terms of like emotional resonance. I think it's the last time to decide. Whether well, actually, I shouldn't say that because I mean, in the last ten years, we've certainly seen a lot of last-minute switcheroos during WrestleMania season. But I, I think it really is kind of the, that last best gauge of of where everybody is headed into WrestleMania. Even as yeah, and I think the last best part is the important part is like there are other platforms, but this is the biggest. This is the show that people go over friends houses to watch like this is the one where you want people to see like rusev came out one year and everybody's like who the fuck is this guy and then he did spinning heel kick and you're like oh i people at the party who were wrestling friends were like what but didn't watch nxt were like what the fuck and it's like yeah this dude is fire and you wouldn't know unless you were watching the rumble but that's why the rumble is like a, such an important part of the calendars because it's the one like communal wrestlemania is wrestlemania people will come over people have wrestlemania party the royal rumble is like the one where you can get non-fans to come over it's it, to a lesser extent the survivor series you can get non-fans to come over and be like have as great a time as you do because like a they'll be able to see like old wrestlers they might recognize a lot of times and b it's so quick and so easily understood you throw the guy out of the ring that's it there's no panning there's no submissions there are no count outs there are no disqualifications you throw the guy or girl over the top rope and that's it there's, there's nothing to – it's so beautiful in its simplicity that it is something that you can tell these stories without a bunch of the noise and you can have it happen for a wide audience. So when you say last best, like that's what I think of. Yeah, it's funny you mention it as sort of that like get-together pay-per-view. I think it really is. I mean I think this is one of the, the moments where those, as WWE calls them in surveys, lapsed fans. I think that's the time when, when those people really do come out of the woodwork and head over to you know whichever friend still watches wrestling's place to check this out. But yeah, it's interesting because like in the last couple of years, it's like, I don't remember who originally said this. It might have been Bruce Mitchell, the Pro Wrestling Torch. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was now that I say it out loud. But one of the things that the Royal Rumble has kind of proven over the last decade is that like the nostalgia pop is the best pop. Like that if you were just going to go based off the Rumble, you would think that like Billy Gunn was as over as like Daniel Bryan or something. Like there's this weird bizarro world quality during the Royal Rumble, it's this like, it's like a magic night. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the one night of the year where the, the elves and fairies come out of the forest and get in the wrestling ring or whatever. Like there, there, there's this, there's a real anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation element to the Royal Rumble that I think has died in most other aspects of the World Wrestling Federation. I mean, that used to be, if you listen to the early days of Raw, Vince says that line like 10 times per episode. And those are one hour episodes. Like anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. and Anything can happen in the Royal Rumble in particular. And I think the Royal Rumble is one of the last bastions 
of that aspect of Vince McMahon's booking. And I think everybody gets really excited for the Royal Rumble every year. But then when they get the finish that isn't like the grandiose, complex, super, uh, super satisfying thing, I, th- I think people go into the Royal Rumble these days like setting themselves up to be let down in that way. Yeah, and I think uh, part of those expectations are like the idea that on a lot of levels, the Royal Rumble is kind of a perfect gimmick match in the sense that it's just the right level of contrived with, and that's part of it being a battle Royal. Right. And, and in terms of like the order of people getting in and stuff like that, there's like, you can create stories out of that, but it's also that it's this like perfect in its own way. Like the actual idea is such a good idea that it, you almost want it to match the like the the actual content you're seeing to match the like promise of the idea, especially when you look at like earlier Royal Rumbles and how great they were. I definitely think like person to person, the Royal Rumbles are better. There's there's a lot, and like '93 and '94 are like '94 in particular, '95 and '96 are like not that great of rumbles. So I'm not like, oh, all older rumbles are better, but they are structured in a way that like the simplicity of them made them feel important and powerful in terms of shaping our understanding of the WWE, but also in terms of reaching goals and achievements in the WWE. Like if you won a Royal Rumble, you were a big fucking deal. But it's also like. We just want that. We want the Royal Rumble to be this beautiful, simple thing again, and it never will be. But it's still better than like World War Three, which we mentioned, which is like it takes the a beautiful simplicity of the Royal Rumble, and it doesn't like. Yeah, and not to call out anyone or anything too specifically, but I think the way the Royal Rumble plays out now is like the way that you play Doom after you've already played it using all the codes. Like you start the game and you're like, yeah, 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 I'm just going to play through Doom. And then you play for like 10 minutes and you're like, yeah, IDKFA. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think that Roman Reigns to some degree was like kind of a cheat code in that he like won the Royal Rumble repeatedly without ever really getting over. And I think that that was quote unquote to kind of borrow an expression from gaming. Like I think Roman Reigns was kind of like a game breaking code or a game breaking glitch where like, I'm not saying that Roman Reigns is a bad wrestler, that people shouldn't like him or anything like that. That's so irrelevant to my point here. But I think that the way they tried to use the equity that was built in the Royal Rumble to, to jam someone over that people weren't ready for yet in that, or weren't ready for in the right way, weren't ready for him to be there yet. You know what I mean? I think that that, like I said, they just like, it kind of feels like a degree to a degree that they've like broken the game but that isn't to say it can't be fixed because i think unlike some other battle royal concepts it at least has the redemption of like we said at the beginning that smart structure that good organization which is generally what battle royals are lacking yeah i love roman reigns so again we're not bad mouthing roman this is the WWE broke the covenant of the Royal Rumble by having people that they knew, like because Roman Reigns, I think, has only won one Rumble, but he's been one of the last two in the last like five, in the same way that he's been the main event at the last like five WrestleManias, but has only won 
like one of the matches i think like he's really the person they put in there because he's so talented and he's such a good like locker room leader and stuff like that that they want him so badly to be the guy that they can just throw in as champion as the royal rumble winner and he's just not that guy and i think what happened is like we said like i said they broke the covenant the like social contract of like you're only you can have whatever guy you want to have look good in this but like don't make us every single year have to worry about roman reigns winning and i think that's what happened is that we're like anticipating that roman reigns is going to win and force us into a match we don't want as much as we want other matches it's not that roman reigns is quote-unquote bad it's that roman reigns the least good option that they could reasonably give us and and it doesn't it's not lazy i don't think it is again contrived it is a contrived idea that like we know roman reigns is going to be in the last two or he's going to lose to triple h in the the 30 versus one or the 29 versus one royal rumble where they had like the title change hands at the end um like that's the type of stuff is that we don't i don't think we collectively hate roman reigns as fans and i love roman reigns like i feel very strongly against the like common quote-unquote smart mark opinion on roman reigns but i also understand where they're coming from they don't like him that like that they like like him as a friend they're not in love with him and the royal rumble to me used to be all about love in terms of like the person who won was like somebody the fans really wanted to see or loved to hate and didn't want to see like rick flair or the first Shawn michaels win but that doesn't discount the fact that they like still need to figure out a way to like gain not trust back but make us understand that they're only going to choose the people to win the royal rumble like out of love and not out of some sort of like narrative need to have that person be the champion uh, the challenger for the championship especially when you consider there's a bunch of different ways now to get into the main event of wrestlemania right like you could win the elimination chamber you can win a battle royal on raw you can do a thousand things to get a title shot you don't need to give that to roman reigns and i think that's what happened yeah, definitely, I agree, and I think not to uh, not not to not to be poking holes in things, but I think that you have in your explanation there unearthed one of the other problems, right? Which is the elimination chamber. That like that's yep. another thing that's really undermined the the equity, the value, the the importance of the Royal Rumble, both like in the perception of fans and just practically to the development of storylines headed into WrestleMania. And like, let's face it. The Royal Rumble was always important, not just because it was this cool concept match, but because of its proximity to WrestleMania. That it was literally, like like I said, like the last best attempt to show everybody, like, hey, here's the exciting stars who are going to be on WrestleMania. If you're on the fence about wrestling during hot, you know, during the big hot wrestling season, like now's the time to jump on the boat. You're not going to miss everything. You'll know everything in time for WrestleMania if you join now. And I think adding Elimination Chamber really screwed that up. Yeah, and it's also one of those things where the matches on the Elimination Chamber had to be like, well, are we going to see the match you had built for the last month on the elim- in the Elimination Chamber? Like, So you'll have the Rumble, Royal Rumble winner, right? And they'll be like, I'm going to fight Blah, the, let's say the SmackDown champion before the Elimination Chamber. So if that Elimination Chamber match, the champion loses in that Elimination Chamber match, that month you've spent building towards this match is gone now. 
So like it, it or in the other direction, it's guaranteed they're going to win because they started a feud with the guy who's going to be champion. So it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like it boxes them into a corner booking wise and they don't have to do it because what they could do is like make it so the IC title and the US title are always up for grabs at the Elimination Chamber because the Elimination Chamber gimmick sells itself. Or you can have exactly. like you don't need to have this like winner gets to go to wrestle. Like you can have that totally with like one match maybe per year but you can't have both brands doing a match because then you have to they're not an equal footing and it makes it seem like one's going to be the main event and one's not and you don't want that confusion or that like well but a month before the show like you want to get that out of the way preferably with the royal rumble you then can build for two months to this royal rumble this wrestlemania match and the elimination chamber just cuts that legs off and and what it's funny you say the elimination chamber because like the other thing so we talked about world war three which is just this it's a 60 man clusterfuck of a battle royal three rings 60 men 170,000 pounds or whatever they do in the intro on the pay-per-view it's so bad <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like 170 tons. You're like, no, no, that would, do you have any idea how fat all of these people would have to be? Yeah, that might be like the the gross weight of everybody in the building. <laughs> yeah, and the building maybe. Like, <laughs> no, like, yeah, it's like, it's crazy. But the other thing, I am glad it didn't go the other way, which is like, uh, and I texted you because I was watching it this morning. Actually, the finals of it uh, in the Nassau Coliseum in 1988, uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede is kind of like a another kind of battle royal that the, I feel like the Royal Rumble could have went towards. And we will eventually talk about this uh, on the pad- podcast beyond. But Dave, as someone who watched a lot more NWA than me, can you explain what the fuck is going on in the Bunkhouse Stampede match? Uh, well, just generally, I mean, as I, as I joked with you earlier, like just imagine a match that was just designed for Dusty Rhodes to win and get over huge. Um, I no, I, I can't really explain it to you other than, yeah, it's kind of like a battle Royal. And then there's also like kind of a Ravens rules aspect to mm-hmm. it. I, I would almost say where there's some partial structures that are set up. And I mean, I love that it's just in like jeans and cowboy boots. And sometimes guys are wearing like heavy gardening gloves to, to <laughs> sell their cowboys in the butt. Like everybody dresses like Jimmy Golden. Everybody dresses like Bunkhouse Buck. Yeah. And basically with the Bunkhouse Stampede matches is you have eight guys in a cage. And the goal is to push all of the other guys out of the cage. Because you're chasing them out of the bunkhouse. Because like that's like, you know, back in the day when the – when the cowboys or the ranch hands or whatever, they would they would settle their problems at the bunkhouse. We me and my buddies over here, you and your buddies, and we'll like hit each other till someone runs away, and then those people are kings of the mountains. I'm pretty sure that's how the cowboys did it, Nick. What movies did you grow up watching? Uh mostly like eighties comedies. Um it's why everything ruins my childhood now. I I don't know if you knew that. No, but like seriously, it, it you're watching, you're like, why the why the fuck would you like you I there's two options. We talked about how like incredibly kayfabe pushing somebody over the top rope is imagine pushing somebody over the top of a fucking cage it makes no sense and like i actually think the door is interesting in this in the sense that like in order to throw somebody out of the door you do have to risk being pushed out of the door yourself for the most part because it's a normal cage and it's a normal like match outside it's a normal like battle royal inside of a cage 
Dave, I'm cr- I'm not crazy, right? Like I, I feel like I'm pretty open minded when it comes to wrestling. The bunkhouse stampede seems like the worst parts of like a gimmick match and a battle royal together. It's like it's everything that could have went wrong with. Uh, like if you have so like you have the World War Three, which is like the worst possible vo- version of the Battle Royal, and then you have the Battle Royal, and then you have like the Royal Rumble, which is like a, an evolved version, and then you have Bunkhouse Stampede as like this other branch it could go down in terms of like that that Battle Royal variation, and it just doesn't work on any level other than kind of getting dusty over like. And I guess, like, I, what I'm saying is I'm thankful that, like, Pat Patterson was there to be like, well, just make the gimmick this. Don't make it any crazier than this. Because, like, you watch it and you can see in a lot of ways, like, it's not that they were trying to do a Royal Rumble, per se. Because, like, the first Royal Rumble is in 1988. And I'm sure that, like, Dusty was watching the WWF. But I don't think he was like, oh, man, this is the best shit ever. Like I have to make this insane match that is like tangentially the same in terms of they're both battle Royals. Like it's, it's not a terrible match. It's the dumbest match I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, I think that both bunkhouse stampede and, uh, and world war three kind of suffered from the same misunderstanding of wrestling, which is that I think that both of them started with, what's the spectacle and then they worked backwards because like if you think of the concept for world war three it was three rings with a giant in each ring that was like the original concept like that's something that sounds good (laughs) on a poster but like did you ever put any thought into the logistics of it same with the bunkhouse stampede it's like oh it's a cage match because cage matches are really hot especially in crockett it's got that like western vibe because a lot of the fan base that like really speaks to them like on paper that sounds great, but as you said, the logistics of a match where the object is to throw four people out of a cage, like, did they actually put in any thought of how that would get done? And for as much as I find Vince McMahon to be very imperfect and maybe overestimated at times as a quote-unquote genius, I think it definitely speaks to the power of, of Vince McMahon and and his belief in his capo at the time, Pat Patterson, you know what I mean? That, like, that everybody who tried to quote unquote improve upon the Royal Rumble or do something bigger and better than the Royal Rumble completely failed. And I think that it speaks to like Patterson, the great psychologist, like he looked at the battle Royal and what did everybody else see? Everybody else saw the fans love all the people in the ring. What did Pat see? The problem is that the people can't focus on anybody one at a time because there's too many people in the ring. It kind of gets back to like, something that we talked about often on the entire run of this show, which is just like the perspective of some people see the thing and, uh, and understand how to replicate it. And other people see the thing and they understand how it really works mm-hmm. on a different level. And I think just the Royal Rumble has persisted in spite of, of some bad booking and some kind of efforts to demean it. Because at the end of the day, it's built with a really good structured understanding of what wrestling's all about. And that's the relationship between the fans and the individuals. That's why they each get their own entrance. Everybody's music gets played. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, everybody has their moment where they first hit the ring and something happens. Um, and, and I think that the the other folks out there when they were doing World War Three or the Bunkhouse Stampede, it was like, there was faith in the spectacle of the match, yes. not 
in the match being a a platform for the wrestlers. Yeah, it wasn't story. There's was no storytelling. Yeah, and you mentioned the psychology, and I think the psychology is the thing you notice most as problematic in the bunkhouse match. It's not the pushing people over the top of the cage. It's actually like what would be the partnership dynamics? Like they had, the one I watched is Tully and Arn try to get people out, but like there's little tweaks that they could have made that would have made that match make a lot more sense. Like for instance, you could have the first person to eliminate somebody else gets to go outside of the bunkhouse until it's only like two people left and come out. So they don't have to deal with like all the bullshit or like some sort of team structure, but then you just have the war game. So like, I think what you ultimately see is that like wrestling all gimmicks should be based on the psychology of the match you can have and not the things you can put on the poster, like you said. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, what's crazy is when you look at, like, the WCW talent roster when they did World War III, if you just put all those names on paper and you said that they're doing a 60-man Royal Rumble and all those names are in it, you would be like, holy crap, we're going to see some pretty awesome stuff. But just the fact that they just started by leading with the image of everybody doing their intro, like everybody coming out at once in literally a parade of superstars, which just like, once again, talk about wrestling psychology, just like the second everybody's lining up and walking in a single file line, you've completely obliterated that which makes a professional wrestler a professional wrestler. <laughs> yeah, you've completely, like not even commodified, but de-individualized them in a market that's based entirely on your ability to be an individual in a community. Like it's it's insane. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. And then they, And then they all get to the ring and it's like, no one has 18 inches around them. You know what I mean? So it's like, what even is there to do for the first 10 minutes? You know, it's like, what's there even to do until you've, until you've gotten rid of, of a third of the people in your ring. It was just, like I said, it was like someone was thinking of how impressive things would look and what bullet points you could put on the screen with just like absolutely zero thought as to how you could get out of the way of the incredible talent that you had under contract at the time. Or how you could shoot the fucking thing in the first place, but that's a whole different that's a whole different show. Wait, uh, wait, wait! Are you saying that you shouldn't break a standard definition aspect ratio screen into like three boxes with a purple <laughs> frame around them? Are you saying that that's hard to see? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. They uh, also actually, you know, Dave, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you have three fucking screens and that small of a goddamn screen, don't make two of them the fucking Hogan ring. I'm fine. Fine. I'm okay. But Nick, obviously that was the most important, right? <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, so the question I've been thinking about now that we've solved what makes the Royal Rumble work is uh, if you could, and we just talked about this, make one tweak, whatever tweak you want to the Royal Rumble, what would it be? Hmm. Anything, like literally anything. Like I really wish they would make the set custom for the Royal Rumble to make it seem like a bigger deal. Like literally something that non tangential, like just tangential to the match. Like that's, uh, I, I think that the final two people should wrestle each other in a one pinfall match. Uh, I think that once it's down to two people in the ring, you, you just have a match that ends in a pin because I just think like, once again, that's like what you've always conditioned the fans to know ends a match. And so people can anticipate the finish better. And like, you can do near falls 
you don't wind up with the Randy Savage pinfalls don't count kind of psychology breaking moment. And you don't leave the fans disappointed because they're like, oh, wait, that was the finish. I wasn't anticipating that. And I think that's what happens in the Royal Rumble sometimes. So you can give them those normal cues just by having those last two people just wrestle to a fall. And I mean, it doesn't have to be long. They're both dead. It's, you know what I mean? It's like two guys could get Big Show over the top and then one turns the other and gives him his finish and pins him. And that's the end of the match. It could be that easy. But I think the match should end with a pinfall because it's a wrestling match. Yeah, I, I, I like that critique. I would actually, and this is the big thing, I would switch the time of the Royal Rumble from end of January to February. I would basically switch the Elimination Chamber and the Royal Rumble so that you have it be the, the we're, we're shooting straight through the Royal Rumble and we are going to be hot for the next month because we have everything locked in at that point. Where I feel like, and the other thing is the Elimination Chamber should also be something like you get to be 30th in the Royal Rumble or you get to choose your when you come out in the Royal Rumble. Like, I think that would be the best way to do it. You would remove it from, like, stepping on the toes of the Royal Rumble, the Elimination Chamber, uh, uh, the toes of the toes of the Royal Rumble. You'd actually have the Royal Rumble be the lead into WrestleMania, which is what it was originally tended, intended as. Like, I like the Elimination Chamber, and I think you should have it every year. I think it's a big enough and cool enough gimmick that it works every year, but I don't think it works in conjunction with the Royal Rumble, and I think ultimately that was the problem and that's how i would solve it i would switch the two i think that's a great idea nick i i 100 support your suggestion excellent all right let's call vince um but before we do that uh did you have anything you had to plug this week Oh, well, as always, people can follow me on Twitter at Dave Writes Junk. Uh, I really hope everybody checked out that top 100 wrestlers of 2018 list that I was a part of compiling. Uh, it went live on The Wrestling Estate throughout the week last week, broken into uh, five 20-person groupings. So uh, I really, really recommend that. It was a blast to pull together, and I know both myself and the other people who helped compile it uh, really put a lot of thought into the little captions and little blurbs that they wrote for each person, both about you know their 2018, their prospects for 2019, what makes them really special, et cetera, et cetera. I think you'll, uh, you'll see a great blend of the faces you're expecting from WWE TV and maybe some people you've never heard of before who are kind of rising stars out there on the scene because we do have uh, a great variety of contributors over at the rest estate it definitely is our strength uh our diversity is our strength because i'm a i'm a good kid of the late 80s uh so check out the wrestling estate and of course follow me on twitter at dave writes junk if you uh want to be a true patron of the arts if you like high-minded conversation about you know topics like the royal rumble and pro wrestling and other goodness like that you can head over to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W and consider sponsoring our show. Uh, you can do just a couple of bucks monthly as a reoccurring member. You'll get a call out on the show. All sorts of other perks that you can discover over there on Patreon or Patreon. Rather, you are the patron if you sign up. Uh, and in addition to all that, I forgot what I was going to say next. So give us your money on Patreon. And uh, what Dave... And I want to, before we go, uh, the podcast beyond, we have decided on a new format, uh, on a format, which is that we are going to be doing a weekly breakdown, starting with the week that we 
um, record. Uh, so in other words, we are going to be starting in February of 1986 and working our way week by week through the show. We're also going to throw in a lot of stuff to add some value. But uh, if you check out the patreon.com uh, slash HWETW, you will definitely see uh, the ability to be part of the Patreon. And with that, get the podcast beyond, which we're both really excited about. Uh, having watched a lot of shit for Arn, I just felt like we had to do this. We had to do a weekly breakdown of the nwa television show and the overall uh jim crockett territory uh, i think it's some of the best most interesting wrestling of all time so i think we're both excited about that right dave oh 100 i can't wait to get to the mid-south buyout so i can see how television champion terry taylor fares in the nwa Wah, wah. <laughs> uh, you can check me out on Twitter at the Nixer. That's T H E N one C K S T E R. You can check us out at howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com. And uh, along with the podcast beyond, I am also working on a video series that we will be making more announcements about uh, as that, that premiere for those comes closer. So uh, I guess as always, um, did you have anything you wanted to add, Dave? Oh, I, uh, yes, I, I had a really, really important groundbreaking news uh, from my from an insider source who I, I can't reveal too much, but very, very deeply uh, embedded uh, behind the palatial walls of stately podcasts, pocket casts, manner. Ah, screw it. Never mind. I had a joke, but, it, but there it goes. That's your joke is that I fucked up and that I suck. See you next week, losers. Time that final list: Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, the model Rick Martell, Nasty Boy Sags, Nasty Boy Knobs, the Texas Tornado, the British Bulldog, Skinner, and this man, the self-proclaimed real world's champion, Ric Flair. There's very few people in this world that knows what it's like to be a champion at something. This Sunday, Royal Rumble, World Wrestling Federation champ. Born with a golden spoon in my mouth. My whole life, someone's called me champ. And now, with the help of Mr. Perfect, we roll into the Royal Rumble. 30 of the biggest stars of all time in the WWF. And against all odds, Ric Flair takes the title. Woo! Break the hammer of Valentine. The Matador, Tito Santana. The Repo Man. The Berserker. Superfly, Jimmy Snuka. And Jake the Snake Roberts standing by with comments. This Sunday, Royal Rumble. 30 men going for the gold. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. But you know something, Savage? You and I, it's a little bit something special, is it? There's more to it than meets the eye, isn't there? Well, the past few weeks, I've done some horrible things to you and to yours. It's got to make you wonder, just what is this man going to do next? At the Rumble this Sunday, you'll find out. The Barbarian, Virgil, Hercules, IRS, and this individual, Macho Man Randy Savage. This Sunday, the Royal Rumble. Are you? watching me nail snake man yeah be 
because I'm gonna hurt you two ways, yeah. Number one, if I touch you, yeah, I'm gonna get it done, yeah. And then the other way is when I'm the last one in the rumble, yeah. And I get crowned once again, the World Wrestling Federation champion, Snake Man. Isn't that something right there? You don't want that to happen. You don't want a lot of things to happen, but they're gonna happen, so get used to it, dang it. The Warlord, Sid Justice. Million Dollar Champion, Ted DiBiase. Colonel Mustafa, the Big Boss Man. Rowdy Roddy Piper, the Immortal Hulk Hogan. And this man, The Undertaker. Oh, 29 freshly dug graves. One by one, each is being opened in my cemetery. And one by one, each will be filled by my Undertaker. There's 29 souls that must be put to rest. And then we'll claim what's rightfully ours. Here among the poor, sad, despicable, oppressive, misinformed. But we have for you to fight your tongue secure.